Chapter Nine of Penrod. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Jonathan Burchard, March two thousand nine. Penrod by Booth Tarkington, Chapter Nine, Soaring. Half the members of the class passed out to a recitation room, the empurpled Victorine among them, and Miss Spence started the remaining half through the ordeal of trial by mathematics. Several boys and girls were sent to the blackboard, and Penrod, spared for the moment, followed their operations a little while with his eyes, but not with his mind, then sinking deeper in his seat limply abandoned the effort. His eyes remained open, but saw nothing. The routine of the arithmetic lesson reached his ears in familiar meaningless sounds, but he heard nothing. And yet this time he was profoundly occupied. He had drifted away from the painful land of facts and floated now in a new sea of fancy which he had just discovered. Maturity forgets the marvelous realness of a boy's daydreams, how colorful they glow, rosy and living, and how opaque the curtain closing down between the dreamer and the actual world. That curtain is almost soundproof, too, and causes more throat trouble among parents than is suspected. The nervous monotony of the schoolroom inspires a sometimes unbearable longing for something astonishing to happen, and as every boy's fundamental desire is to do something astonishing himself, so as to be the center of all human interest and awe, it was natural that Penrod should discover in fancy the delightful secret of self-levitation. He found, in this curious series of imaginings, during the lesson in arithmetic, that the atmosphere may be navigated as by a swimmer under water, but with infinitely greater ease and with perfect comfort in breathing. In his mind he extended his arms gracefully, at a level with his shoulders, and delicately paddled the air with his hands, which at once caused him to be drawn up out of his seat and elevated gently to a position about midway between the floor and ceiling, where he came to an equilibrium and floated a sensation not the less exquisite because of the screams of his fellow-pupils, appalled by the miracle. Miss Spence herself was amazed and frightened, but he only smiled down carelessly upon her when she commanded him to return to earth, and then, when she climbed upon a desk to pull him down, he quietly paddled himself a little higher, leaving his toes just out of her reach. Next, he swam through a few slow somersaults to show his mastery of the new art, and with the shouting of the dumbfounded scholars ringing in his ears, turned on his side and floated swiftly out the window, immediately rising above the housetops while people in the street below him shrieked and a trolley car stopped dead in wonder. With almost no exertion he paddled himself, many yards at a stroke, to the girls' private school where Marjorie Jones was a pupil, Marjorie Jones of the amber curls and the golden voice. Long before the pageant of the table round, she had offered Penrod a hundred proofs that she considered him wholly undesirable and ineligible. At the Friday afternoon dancing class she consistently incited and led the laughter at him whenever Professor Bartet singled him out for admonition in matters of feet and decorum. And but yesterday she had chid him for his slavish lack of memory in, in daring to offer her a greeting on the way to Sunday school. Well, I suspect you must forget I told you never to speak to me again. If I was a boy, I'd be too proud to come hanging around people that don't speak to me, even if I was the worst boy in town. So she flouted him. But now, as he floated in through the window of her classroom, and swam gently along the ceiling like an escaped toy balloon, she fell upon her knees beside her little desk, and lifting up her arms toward him, cried with love and admiration, Oh, Penrod! 
he negligently kicked a globe from the high chandelier, and smiling coldly, floated out through the hall to the front steps of the school, while Marjorie followed, imploring him to grant her one kind look. In the street, an enormous crowd had gathered, headed by Miss Spence and a brass band, and a cheer from a hundred thousand throats shook the very ground as Penrod swam overhead. Marjorie knelt upon the steps and had watched adoringly while Penrod took the drum major's baton and, performing sinuous evolutions above the crowd, led the band. Then he threw the baton so high that it disappeared from sight. But he went swiftly after it, a double delight, for he had not only the delicious sensation of rocketing safely up and up into the blue sky, but also that of standing in the crowd below, watching and admiring himself as he dwindled to a speck, disappeared, and then, emerging from a cloud, came speeding down with the baton in his hand, to the level of the treetops, where he beat time for the band and the vast throng and Marjorie Jones, who all united in the star-spangled banner in honor of his aerial achievements. It was a great moment. It was a great moment, but something seemed to threaten it. The face of, of Miss Spence looking up from the crowd grew too vivid, unpleasantly vivid. She was beckoning him and shouting, Schofield! Penrod Schofield! Come down here! He could hear her above the band, and the singing of the multitude. She seemed intent on spoiling everything. Marjorie Jones was weeping to show how sorry she was that she had formerly slighted him, and throwing kisses to prove that she loved him. But Miss Spence kept jumping between him and Marjorie, incessantly calling his name. He grew more and more irritated with her. He was the most important person in the world, and was engaged in proving it to Marjorie Jones and the whole city, and yet Miss Spence seemed to feel she still had the right to order him about as she did in the old days when he was an ordinary schoolboy. He was furious. He was sure she wanted him to do something disagreeable. It seemed to him that she had screamed, Penrod Schofield! thousands of times. From the beginning of his aerial experiments in his own schoolroom, he had not opened his lips, knowing somehow that one of the requirements of air-floating is perfect silence on the part of the floater. But finally, irritated beyond measure by Miss Spence's clamorous insistence, he was unable to restrain an indignant rebuke, and immediately came to earth with a frightful bump. Miss Spence, in the flesh, had directed toward the physical body of the absent Penrod an inquiry as to the fractional consequences of dividing seventeen apples fairly among three boys and she was surprised and displeased to receive no answer, although to the best of her knowledge and belief he was looking fixedly at her. She repeated her question crisply, without visible effect. Then summoned him by name with increasing asperity. Twice she called him, while all his fellow pupils turned to stare at the gazing boy. She advanced a step from the platform. Penrod Schofield! Oh, my goodness! he shouted suddenly. Can't you keep still a minute? End of chapter 9